You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Today is a sad day. Millions of Tumblr porn blogs perished yesterday as Tumblr's ban on adult content went into effect on Monday. This won't be a problem for people looking for porn online. You can still find porn on the internet. I checked. No, Tumblr's ban on adult content is sad and it's a problem, a real cause for mourning because a lot of people with minority sexual identities or niche sexual interests sought and found communities on Tumblr. And a lot of sex workers sought and found community and some measure of safety on Tumblr. We'll have more on the depressing Tumblr news next week. Like I said, today's a sad day for sexual expression and a sad day for a free and open internet. But for some listeners out there, it is shaping up to be a sad week. And that's what I want to talk about today. Christmas is coming. And this year, like every year, the media is force-feeding us idealized images of what Christmas is supposed to look like. Loving families gathering together to give each other cars, to talk, hug, reconcile, and carbo-load themselves into comas. But not everyone gets a car for Christmas. Not everyone is going home for Christmas. And in some cases, it might be my fault. There are people out there, I'm told, who actually take my advice. And some of you have taken my advice on how to handle your homophobic families or your transphobic families or your polyphobic families. Give them a year. Give them a year to ask whatever asshole questions they need to ask, no matter how offensive. A year to have their tantrums and their meltdowns. But when that year is up, if they haven't made any progress, if they're still being assholes about your sexuality or your gender identity or your partners, plural, if they're awful to you every time you see them or get on the phone, don't see them or get on the phone. Stop phoning home. Stop going home. Stop going home for Christmas or Hanukkah, or Kwanzaa, or Diwali, or Ramadan, or Thanksgiving. Because once you're an adult, your presence is your only leverage over your parents, and your siblings, and your aunts, and your uncles. And if they can't love you, if they refuse to accept you for who you are, and who you love, they don't get to have you. They don't deserve you. We have, as the brilliant Armistead Maupin said, a biological family and a logical family. If you're lucky, your biological family is part of your logical family. But not everyone is so lucky. Some of us have no choice but to cut our biological families out of our lives. And not everyone with toxic, hateful bios manages to find their logical family before they have to cut those toxic, hateful bios out of their lives. I have some advice for those of you who find yourselves between biological and logical families this Christmas. For those of you who are going to be alone at Christmas. It's a little counterintuitive and it's not an assignment if you don't think this would work for you, don't do it. It's advice, not binding arbitration. But if it looks like you're going to be alone this Christmas, if you're going to have a depressing Christmas, you might want to lean into it. As someone once said about something else entirely, lean into that shit. With a little effort, you can have not a depressing Christmas, but the most cosmically, comically depressing Christmas ever. An epically, absurdly depressing Christmas. Not a shit Christmas, the shittiest Christmas. Now, I love Christmas and I am lucky in that my biological family is now, didn't always feel like they were, but they are now a part of my logical family. 
But once, years ago, when I was still out there trying to find my logicals, I was alone on Christmas, alone and far away. Circumstances conspired to dump me in Dublin, and I had nowhere to go and no one to go nowhere with. I didn't have enough money to cobble together a Christmassy meal in a restaurant, and almost everything was closed anyway, and it was wet and I was cold. Walking around downtown Dublin, I found the one place that was open on Christmas, a rundown movie theater. And what was showing? It wasn't Miracle on 34th Street. Nope. Nightmare on Elm Street. I bought a ticket and sat in the back row of a theater where people could smoke and were smoking. And I felt so fucking sorry for myself. And about halfway through the movie, after having a little sob, I started to laugh. The incongruity of it all. Watching a young and beautiful Johnny Depp get dismembered by a killer mattress. It suddenly made my sad-ass Christmas a little brighter? I left that theater after sitting through that movie twice. Still bummed about my shitty Christmas, shittiest Christmas, most depressing Christmas ever, before or since, but I was able to laugh about it. You have other options, of course. You could volunteer in a soup kitchen, you could head to a Chinese restaurant and hang out on Christmas with the Jews. But when you think something is going to suck, when you think something is going to be sad, I found that avoiding the suck or trying to paper over the suck can make the suck worse, but pumping the suck up, leaning into it, like I said, that can make the suck so absurd that you have to laugh. And then next year, when you found a few of your logicals, you'll have a story to tell. Your worst Christmas ever. And the other people around the table, other members of your logical family, maybe if you're lucky, a bio or two, they'll have their own stories to tell too. All right, coming up on today's show, Erica Moen joins us on the micro and magnum editions of the Savage Lovecast. Erica is the cartoonist half of the team behind the weekly comic Oh Joy Sex Toy, along with her husband, Matthew Nolan, and they have a new book out, Drawn to Sex, The Basics. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, um, I am a 30-year-old woman living in San Francisco, and I'm dating, newly dating a guy who doesn't wear deodorant because he thinks he doesn't need it. And the truth is he really does. And it's actually very distracting when we are intimate with each other. And I'm not really sure how to approach it. Should I tell him that he needs deodorant? Should I buy him? Should I not say, I don't want to body shame him. So I'm really confused about what to do. Yeah. You don't want to body shame him, but you don't want to let him get away with nose assaulting you. You have a right to go to him and say, yeah, you're wrong. I don't need deodorant. No, 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 no. You do need deodorant. You don't need deodorant as often as the evil people who create deodorant ads might lead you to believe you need deodorant. You don't need it every goddamn day. But every once in a while to murder the bacteria that might be growing and metastasizing into man stank. Yeah, every once in a while you need to run something through your pits to take care of that. And you should say that to him. He wants to press his body up against yours. And you can't dictate to him anything about his body, right? Yeah, he wants to press his body up against yours. It's his body. He can do with it what he likes. Your body and your face and your nose and your olfactory senses, those are yours. And you can do with them what you like. And he would like you to press your body up against his body. And you have a right then to say, to dictate some terms. 
I will press my body up against your body when it is clean. I will put your dick in my mouth when it doesn't smell. Go take a shower. We can have sex tonight if you use some deodorant this morning because you know what? You kind of reek. And you just have to say that to him. And if he breaks up with you, good riddance to stank rubbish. Hi, Dan. I've been listening to your show forever, and I'm a big fan. And I think I have maybe the most obvious question ever. I'm still super hung up on my ex. We broke up close to 10 years ago. I've since married, moved on in a low point of staying married and staying sane. I reconnected with my ex recently. So I just, I want to know how I like get over that, I guess. Like time hasn't done it for me. What do I do, Dan? Help me. I want to say that anyone who's ever dated, seriously dated, more than one person has regrets. But every day I get emails and letters from people who've only ever dated one person. And guess what they have? Regrets. They wonder what it might be like to have been with someone else and not just sexually, to have been in a relationship with someone else. And sometimes they fantasize about what it might be like to be in a relationship with an imaginary partner as opposed to the person that they've been with their entire lives who isn't imaginary and comes bundled with the grind and stress of daily life that comes bundled with the strain and conflict built into any long-term, even loving, low-conflict romantic and sexual relationship. But it's not just people who've only ever been with one person in their entire lives who carry around in their heads an imaginary partner, the person with whom everything is easy and perfect because they're imaginary. People who've dated and had serious relationships with other people sometimes cast a long ago far away ex as that imaginary partner with whom everything is easy and perfect because what was bad about the relationship, the reason you left the relationship – the hundred million little things about that person that annoyed you at the time or would have come to annoy you over time if you cohabitated with that person and shared the stress and grind of daily life with that person. None of that exists in your imagination when you fantasize about this guy from 10 years ago and the alternate life you might have had with that person had you wound up with that person. But you're with the person that you're with now. And if you want the relationship you're in now to survive and thrive, you need to reason with yourself. You need to talk yourself down off that ledge. You need to remind yourself of the reasons why that relationship 10 years ago ended. And then you need to tell yourself that there would be things about this person if you were with them now, with them still, and would make them the person that you look at and occasionally in frustration or just out of boredom fantasize about the other, the alternative, the life you could have had, the different life. It is alleged that you can talk yourself off of pretty easily if you're just a little logical and a little rational, that when your reptile brain kicks in, it begins to fantasize and sexually fantasize about this other, this other person, your imaginary perfect partner, a role you have cast with a non-imaginary person. But at this stage, 10 years on, pretty much this person exists primarily in your imagination Things with that person would not be perfect. Your higher brain needs to come in and talk to your reptile brain and go, yeah, yeah, I get what you're doing. I see what you're doing there. We all need to have our fantasies. We all sometimes want to indulge in this way. But higher brain is here to remind you that boyfriend from 10 years ago, 
Farts too. Boy from, from 10 years ago has annoying personal habits. Boy from, from 10 years ago may have debts or issues or problems that would drive you up the fucking wall or are similar to the ones about the person you're with now that drive you up the fucking wall. Again, these are the things you do if you don't want to get out of the relationship that you're in now. These are the things you tell yourself so you can have the relationship you're in now with the non-imaginary husband and also the occasional daydream about what could have been with the imaginary partner that you, as a previously partnered person before the partner you're with now, have cast an actual human being in that role of imaginary partner. But he is still an imaginary partner. Hi, Dan. I need advice on how to talk to a close friend who's likely guilty of sexually assaulting a couple friends in our community. We were both raised in a pseudo-Christian cult that psychologically abused us badly. So we didn't learn healthy interpersonal boundaries, let alone anything about dating, sex, or consent. Uh, do I believe in part to bad examples, bad, tr- bad training, no training, a lack of options, and really bad judgment? My friend made a habit in his early 20s of getting involved with underage girls. This would have been about 10 years ago. I'm now hearing that several of them feel they were assaulted, and I believe them. Our community of friends who are still in touch after leaving the cult is understandably turning against him. This guy is essentially a brother to me. I love him despite his deep, deep problems around sex. He's burned bridges with others who've confronted him about all this. I want to let him know that I can't be a friend to him if he continues to ignore what he did. I'm not sure how to confront him, uh, what expectations to set around how he responds or how to help him without alienating the rest of our friend group. Do you have any ideas? If your friend can't take responsibility for the things that he's done, if he reacts defensively, if he reacts angrily when others confront him and hopefully when you have confronted him about these things, you may have to cut him out of your life. He may be irredeemable, perhaps because he's, damaged, irredeemably damaged. You give context here that gives context but is not an excuse, that doesn't earn him a pass, that that he was victimized in the cult in which he and you were both raised doesn't give him license to rattle around for the rest of his life abusing others. And he, again, has to take responsibility for his actions, for his bad actions, for for his perhaps criminal actions. And if he does, if he is willing to do that work, if he can recognize the terrible things that he has done and attempt to make amends and better himself so that he does not harm anyone in future, and you want then to be in his life, what do you say to the other people that you know, the other formerly mutual friends who are now just your friends who've cut him out of their lives and have a right to do that? Even if he gets into therapy, even if he takes responsibility, even if he attempts to make amends, the people that he has harmed have a right to cut him out of their lives. But if you don't want to cut him out of your life, what do you say to people that you know who have? Well, you say you didn't give him a pass. You say that you are remaining in his life in part, perhaps in large part, to help hold him accountable. That it is not a great idea for the safety of others that he may encounter in future for there to be no one beside him, no one in his life who knows him and knows what he's capable of 
knows the damage he's capable of inflicting on others, the harm he's capable of doing, and is standing there beside him saying, do better. And my presence in your life is conditional upon, of course, you being and doing better. I know that in a lot of Christian traditions, a lot of evangelical churches, there are accountability buddies around masturbating and idiotic things like that or looking at pornography. And you have an accountability buddy that you phone then I guess slaps the dick out of your hand if you're about to masturbate to the porn. You just watch it on your phone and then slaps your phone out of the other hand. You can be an accountability presence in his life. Not perhaps an accountability buddy. I think that's a little too cutesy in a case like this. But you can be a person in his life, an anchor in his life that helps ground him and helps to hold him accountable and helps and encourages him to hold himself accountable. But you can't give him a pass. If he won't hear you when you confront him about the shitty things that he's done, if he just wants to have the good of you in his life or wants to feel like maybe everything he did wasn't so awful because you're still willing just to hang out and shoot the shit or watch the game or go to the movies or whatever, then you're complicit in his rationalizations that may lead to him abusing others in future and you can't be complicit. So hold him accountable. If he refuses to be held accountable, cut him out of your life. Hi, Dan. I'm a 33-year-old woman living in New England, and I'm hoping you can help me out. I recently lost a lot of weight. I've been overweight my entire life. My highest was around 400 pounds. But all of a sudden, I can look at pictures of myself, and I look like everyone else. I'm still heavy, but within the realm of normalcy. And this leads me to believe that maybe I'm attractive enough to start dating. I listen to you every week and you talk about varsity level stuff. But Dan, I have a crush on my next door neighbor and I want to ask him on a date. I want him to know I'm attracted to him and I don't know how. So I wondered if you could please take a minute and stop talking about pegging and open relationships and unicorns and go back to basics. Teach me what I should have learned 20 years ago. What do you do if you like someone? How do you approach them? How do you do relationships? Congratulations on the weight loss. You lost hundreds of pounds. That's what you wanted to do and you did it. That's an accomplishment. Good on you. You could have dated all this time, of course. You, you, you say that now that you're smaller than you used to be, still big, but smaller than before, now you can date or now you're fit to date. And of course, people can date at any size. That said, what do you do if you like someone? You ask them out. It's pretty simple, but it's, of course, terrifying because what if they say no? What if they're not interested in dating you? And then what's it going to be like after you've been rejected? It's going to be awkward and rejection sucks and rejection hurts and everybody gets their fair or unfair share of that shit over the course of their dating and romantic and sexual lives. We all get rejected. Yes, even conventionally attractive people get rejected and it always really sucks because you put yourself out there. You make yourself vulnerable and then that other person, not meaning to be cruel, has to level with you. They can't go out on a date with you and go out on 400 dates with you and say yes when you propose and marry you just to spare your feelings and be with you for the rest of their lives so that they didn't inflict a little bit of pain at some point in your life. So you might get a no. And I'm of the opinion that it's always best to invite the no, to ask for the no, to say to the neighbor in your case, 
I'm sorry if this makes things momentarily awkward or awkward for a little bit, but I wanted to ask you out on a date. And if the answer is no, please say no. I'm a grown up. I can handle rejection. I'd rather have an honest no than a maybe sometime or to be put off or to go on a couple of pity dates. So if it's no, then it's no. But if it's yes, I'd like to go on a date with you. And then they get to say yes or they get to say no. And if they say yes, then you go out on a date. And then you see what happens after that. Maybe on the date you'll discover that he only can talk about himself and asks you no questions about yourself and voted for Donald Trump. You'll, maybe you'll discover something that disqualifies him, that, that, res, that extinguishes your attraction to him. Or maybe not. Maybe you'll then go on a third, fourth, fifth date. Maybe it'll work out. Of course, with me using work out not to mean you'll be together for 50, 60 years or the rest of your lives till death part you. A relationship can last a weekend, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, the rest of your life uh, and still work out. It doesn't have to last for – it doesn't have to end up in the funeral home for a relationship to have been a success. So maybe it will work out. Maybe you'll go out on a few dates with this guy. You get your feet wet. You'll have some experience dating and then you won't be interested in continuing to see him or he won't be interested in continuing to see you. But you'll have this valuable experience and that will work out for you. There is another way to approach people that isn't just straight out asking them if they'd like to go out on a date and putting your romantic or sexual interest in them on the table. And that's just to arrange to be around them, to hang out and then see if there's lingering eye contact, see if there's any flirty banter, see if there's a spark. But eventually then the ask has to be made by that person or by you. And at that moment where the ask is made, the rejection is risked and the hurt then if rejection comes is delivered. So you always have to be okay with that, with the hurt. And then how do you do relationships? <laughs> oh my God. There are so many different ways to do a relationship. Be kind to each other. Be decent to each other. Be loving and concerned. Don't be a doormat. Don't let somebody walk all over you. Don't tell yourself that there's no other options out there for you when there are 7 billion people rattling around on this planet. You always have options. So you don't have to eat shit just because it took you a long time to find this particular person or work up the courage to ask anybody out. So if you wind up in a relationship with someone like this guy and he turns out to be a shitty person – don't stick around just because it took you so long to work up the courage to ask anybody out. Dump the guy and ask somebody else out. That risk you took that got you this guy, you can take that risk again with some other guy and get a better guy if this guy turns out to be a shitty guy, if indeed you get this guy at all. And my theory of relationships, you know, people are on their best behavior. People really put up this kind of Potemkin Village version of themselves early in a relationship, early in dating. And, you know, people front. And then if you continue to date or maybe you begin to cohabitate, you begin to see the person behind that facade. You also see that person attempting to live up to the Potemkin village version of themselves that they presented to you at first. So being in this relationship, hopefully you both endeavor then to be better versions of yourselves, to be the lies you told each other about who you were at the beginning and then be loved despite the fact that both of you know that that's not true. Both of you know that you are not as good as you pretended to be on those first few dates. And then how do you do a relationship? Well, you, you do it. You keep dating. Maybe you move in together and you figure out how you can live together. You solve the problems uh, that are solvable. You pay the price of admission around the problems that can't be solved where you stop complaining about them and you just eat them. Uh, if they're edible, 
I don't mean you need to swallow shit or put up with somebody who's emotionally or God forbid physically abusive or who doesn't meet your needs. That's not a price of admission anybody should pay. But there may be little ways that this person annoys you. They may have personal habits that drive you up the wall and no amount of bitching about them changes those things or can fix those things. And so at a certain point, you just stop bitching about them and live with it. And that's the price of admission you pay to be with this person because they bring so much else into your life that's good. And then, you know, the secret to our success, we just keep not breaking up. That's what I tell people when they ask me, how are you and Terry still together? We just keep not breaking up. That is how you do a relationship over the long term. And that requires patience, forbearance, forgiveness. It also requires joy. There needs to be joy in the relationship. That person needs to make you happy. They need to earn the patience and earn the forgiveness that you will have to extend to them and they will have to extend to you over time. And they do that by bringing joy and pleasure into your life. Hi, Dan. Uh, Sis, straight, mid-30s male from a large-ish Australian city here calling for, well, first time, long time. I'm in a long-term monogamous relationship and my girlfriend recently brought up Doherty's sex style, which she called it, uh, with her on all fours, me positioned behind her and entering her vaginally from behind. My concern is how did she find out about this now and the fact that she likes it after almost 15 years of us just having sex in the normal position. We have a very trusting and open uh, relationship and can talk about these sort of things uh, well. Um, so when she says that she didn't learn out of uh, learn about this through an affair with not another man, I believe her, and leaves viewing online porno videos or talking about our sex life with other people as the only other ways that she may have learned about this. Uh, the fir- former I consider cheating and the latter I d- I'm not really comfortable with. So my question is, are there any other ways that you could suggest that she may have learned about this position uh, and can you suggest any ways that I can bring up this topic and the fact that I've had to fake my orgasm each time that she's asked for doggity without sounding like I'm kink shaming, which I don't want to do, um, but I do want to find a way to get past this because she's probably the love of my life. Keep up the great show. I enjoy your show week to week. Doggity style. I wanted to bring you in because we were just debating whether or not this is a fake call. We are so torn. We've listened to this call like five times, <laughs> and it's one of my favorite calls of all time. This, If it's a fake, he's a good actor. Yeah. He sells it. Yeah, totally. The waver in his voice, the bizarre use of a, a slang that doesn't seem to be real, doggity style. Hey, Australians, is that a thing? No. I don't think it's a thing. We did a little Googling. I texted a friend in Australia. Nobody calls it doggity style. And, and, and I can't imagine someone who's a longtime listener to this show. Not that you really hear people use the expression doggy style very often. It's just like sex. It's just a – it's a common position. It's common and, and vanilla. It's yeah, not it, like a freaky kinky – No. It's not like something only people who've <laughs> watched pornography could possibly know about like spitting into someone's mouth. <laughs> This yeah, is that's a good idea. This is sex that. that people have. And people, even people who are virgins, 
who have never watched porn and never spoken to a friend are familiar with this position if they if by only actually seeing dogs do it in the street yeah so is he an act so he's either the best actor or the worst person (laughs) the worst straight guy worst straight guy controlling paranoid vindictive possessive straight guy the worst one and that's a high bar sir if you actually existed this isn't a fake being the worst straight guy the worst boyfriend that's that bar is so fucking high the international space station barely clears it so let's proceed as though this person's real and let's also like beg the listeners that this is not a challenge please don't try and call in with your fake with your fake questions i'm pretty sure that i catch them all but please don't try to trick us yeah not that we lose too much sleep over it i don't because (laughs) if it's a good fake question you know every question is a hypothetical to every listener but one so if the rare fake slips through that's fine but like the obvious fakes and and what makes this if, if he was chortling or there was any any sense in in his reading or the asking of the question that he was amused by it then it would obviously we would go oh fake and just discard it but he sounds so fucking sincere yeah and he's really worried that his girlfriend might be watching pornography or talking to her friends or having an affair well he ruled out affair he believes that she hasn't cheated on him. But but the idea that you could be – he says – one of the things he says and he sounds like he means it is longtime listener. And the idea that you could be a longtime listener to this show and regard glimpsing at pornography long enough to find out about this doggy style position that everybody already fucking knows about <laughs> and regard that as cheating, that doesn't seem credible. It's incomprehensible. And that you could be a longtime listener to the show. There are a lot of people out there who have this attitude, right, that you shouldn't talk about us with your friends. And that is actually kind of a controlling behavior and it's not fair and it's not right because we have to be able to confide not in gossips, not in just any asshole, in trusted friends about our relationships, including about the sex lives, uh, the, the, the sex we have in the context of our relationship because sometimes we need to be told we're being used or abused or, or, or badly treated and sometimes we need to vent. So the idea that a longtime listener – not just some asshole on the street because I think there's a lot of assholes on the street who take that position. Don't talk about our business to anybody. That, but some longtime listener to this show would regard chatting with a friend about your sex life and finding out from this friend that there's not just one position that you can actually do this vaginal intercourse thing in another configuration. I'm, Jeannie, I've got to tell you about this new position. It's called doggy style. Sometimes doggity, most often doggy. <laughs> yeah, that also just seems not credible. Yeah. All right. So are we just not proceeding as though it's real? Like we're just going ahead like it's fake? Uh, no, no. Okay, it's real. Sir, you're an asshole. <laughs> and you need to apologize to your girlfriend. And you need to stop lying to your sex advice uh, podcasters about the kind of relationship you have. You say it's an open and honest relationship no. and yet you can't ask your girlfriend where this idea came from it probably came from again if this is real she's bored 15 fucking years of getting fucked in the exact same position she's bored or maybe you grew a beard she doesn't want to look at your face anymore during sex that could also happen maybe we should tell him about some other positions that they could do uh blow his mind reverse cowgirl (laughs) wheelbarrow and you listen to the show what if your girlfriend listens to the show and and heard about a sex position like sex is something that people 
talk about, even if they don't talk with their friends about it. It is a topic of conversation. It's covered in magazines. Maybe she read it in Cosmo. Is she not allowed to read Cosmo either? Not allowed to Google sex or sex positions and, and look through the results that she might get? So she's allowed to talk to her friends about sex. She's allowed to watch some pornography to learn about sex. And she's allowed to ask for whatever sex position she wants. And you, as her longtime boyfriend, you have to at least have an open mind to what she's proposing and go for it. And, and she's not, she didn't ask you to lay down so she could shit in your mouth. <laughs> Just it's for a, doggy style. It's a slippery slope, Dan. Yeah, it's a hop, skip, and a jump from <laughs> doggy style to shitting down my throat. All right, so take it easy, Lee Strasberg. <laughs> All right. If you're a fake, well done, bravo. We entertained your fake. If you exist, boo, hiss. Boo. You have got to be a better human being and better boyfriend uh, than your call reveals you to be. You have got to work on the person that you are and you have got to let your girlfriend be the autonomous individual with a right to a zone of privacy that might include watching a little pornography which might include chatting with a trusted friend about her sex life, including her frustrations about her sex life, and then coming back to you from that conversation with a suggestion from that friend that improves your sex life, you should be grateful, not angry. Dude, stop being an a- don't stop being a listener, but stop being an asshole if you're a listener at all. Again, hard to square longtime listener with the premise of this question. Hi, Dan, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I am a straight cis female living in the Southwest. I'm a teacher and I have students who are older, 20, 21 years old. And I had a situation happen where one of these students who is 21 graduated earlier this year and a couple months after graduation, I got a message from him early on a Sunday morning. This was a couple months back now. It was pretty sexually charged. You know, it was pretty intense. It was about seven in the morning. And he was saying, you know, that he found me hot and that he just wanted to come over. No one would know. It was almost like begging, (laughs) kind of tempting as it was at the time. I had been celibate for over a year. I said no. And then it was like, that was it. Nothing continued. Um, It was just kind of like zero to a hundred randomly on this Sunday morning and then nothing. And I think I even asked him like, are you drunk? Like what's going on? And he insisted he wasn't. And then um, out of the blue, a couple months after that yesterday morning, um, again on a Sunday morning at like seven in the morning, he texted again and same thing. It was very much like intense, kind of begging. Nobody would know. I'm good at keeping secrets. Let me just come over, send me your address. This one I shut down pretty quick and it was kind of like weirding me out (laughs) how intense it was. And then he actually tried to call me to which I didn't answer. But then again, that was it. After I didn't answer his call, he didn't um, try anything again. So my question is, do you think this is common? Because I know, or what do you think is going on? Because I know that There's the whole, like, booty call, usually in the middle of the night, like, hey, what are you doing? Um, But this was, this was early on a Sunday morning. (laughs) So my guess is that maybe he's, like, doing some 
drugs every once in a while that like he wakes up super horny and that's what's going on. It's just kind of weird. I've just never really gotten the whole like early Sunday morning sexy texts before. So this guy is asking you, proposing that you should do with him something risky, something that is risky, but probably shouldn't be risky. You're both consenting adults. You no longer have a student-teacher relationship. You have no power over him. But what he's asking you to do is fuck a former student. And in our current climate, you know, when I went to college, I had a professor who had married one of his students while she was his student, and they were still together 25 years later. This ain't going to fly these days. That relationship these days wouldn't get the pass it got then and maybe shouldn't get the pass it got then. However, our sort of increased awareness or sensitivity to power dynamics extends at times to cover circumstances where the power dynamic is no longer in play. What we are talking about two people who may have made each other's acquaintance as student teacher, but adult teacher, adult student no longer have a student teacher relationship who want to fuck. You wouldn't be calling if you weren't at least tempted. But what this guy's asking you to do is something that is in this climate kind of professionally risky in our new model sex army. Not okay. Fucking a student, even a former student, even if it's okay, even if it's not against the rules at your university, even if others have, it is something that if widely known, if it gets out there, if he talks about it, if it gets back to your institution, wherever it is that you teach, it would prompt many of your peers and perhaps some of your charges, some of your students to question your judgment. And so he's asking you to take what is, but I don't think should be a professional risk to get into his pants. But he's asking in a way that communicates to you that he's a chaos agent, that he has poor impulse control. He isn't calling you on a Thursday or texting you on a Thursday afternoon and saying, look, when I was your student, I was really attracted to you. I'm not your student anymore. If you'd like to hang out or hook up sometime, I'd like to too. So what do you say? He's not approaching you in a way that communicates to you that he's trustworthy, that he's somebody that you could feel good about taking this small professional risk for and with. He's communicating you in such a way that lets you know that he's a mess. Blowing up your phone or blowing up your Facebook messenger at seven in the morning on a Sunday? Yeah, maybe he's doing drugs, but he's not doing drugs and then waking up horny. He's doing drugs and out all night and still awake in the morning and horny and reaching out to you. And it's been my experience that someone who reaches out to you at seven in the morning, you're not the first person that they've reached out to. You're maybe the fourth or fifth person. There is the reaching out to the 3 a.m. person, the 4 a.m. person, the 5 a.m. person, the 6 a.m. person, and then the 7 a.m. person, which is another thing about his approach, about his game that would, if I were in your shoes, even if I was attracted to this guy, would give me pause, serious pause, a lifelong pause, the never actually going to fuck this guy pause. All that said, in the future, if you find yourself in this circumstance again where a former student like you, an adult, a consenting adult approaches you because he wishes to have a romantic or sexual or both relationship with you now that you are no longer teacher and student and in his approach, he demonstrates to you that he is a reasonable, rational person with good judgment 
yeah, I would fuck that guy and I would encourage you to fuck that guy if you'd called me about that guy. But you didn't call me about that guy. You called me about Mr. 7 a.m. blowing up your phone begging for sex. And I don't think you should fuck that guy. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I am a 24-year-old heteroflexible woman in the Midwest. Went out with a guy a couple times, really hit it off, and then we slept together. Two days later, he texted me and said that he liked me, but he can't have sex with me again. And I, quote, hope you don't hate me anymore. I guess we're 12 years old again. I was okay with that. I was okay with maintaining a friendship because he was a nice guy. Um, And then the next day, he asked me if I wanted to go out with him and his best friend because we'd, quote, really hit it off. Now I'm just ticked off because I feel like he's just trying to fucking pass me around like a sex call. Is he even worth the energy of calling out or do I just ignore him for the rest of eternity? Thanks, Sam. I have a friend that I think you would really hit it off with. I think you guys would be great together. I think that's something an ex could say to you. Two years later, five years later, ten years later, if it was a good relationship and you parted amicably and it was a low-conflict relationship and you know it wasn't abusive, that there was no like furious anger bomb reason why you two couldn't be together and this person regards you with affection and you regard that ex with affection and your friends, that's somebody who knows you, knows you intimately, knows – Kind of what you might be looking for or might need in a romantic relationship because they weren't it. But they saw what it is you needed. They saw what it is you might want. And they know someone who they think is what you need and is what you want. An ex can be a great wingman. An ex can be a great yenta. An ex who really knows you and still loves you on some level can be a great matchmaker. That's not this guy, though. He's not an ex. You guys were never in love. You hung out a couple of times. You fucked once. He informed you after that one time that he won't be fucking you anymore. You were willing to to stay friendly to see if you couldn't have a friendship with this person that you had this hookup. And then he calls you and says, hey, I got a friend. I'm going to hook you up. I think you two would really get along. You'd really hit it off. Yeah, that's not something you say to someone you fucked once. That does smack of being passed off, passed around like a baton. And you're right to not want to meet his friend. And you're right to, I think, not want to be his friend. But your question is, do you call him up and give him peace of your mind? Do you text him and blow up at him? Or do you just walk the fuck away? And I think the latter. I think you walk the fuck away. Not only doesn't he deserve your friendship, he doesn't deserve any more of your time or your attention or your mental energy. So you can block him, which might cause him to wonder what that's about. This slight aggression in blocking someone is kind of a passive aggressive act, or you can just ignore it and ignore him. And that's what I would go with. I would just not dignify the offer of your ass to his friend with a response. Hi, Dan. I'm wondering if there are strap ons that work on a man. So when the man doesn't feel like, you know, having sex, then he can put on a strap on and still have sex. Joining me by phone from her secret lair in Portland, Oregon, Erica Moen is the cartoonist half of the team behind the weekly comic Oh Joy Sex Toy, which she works on along with her husband, Matthew Nolan, and they have a new book out, Drawn to Sex, The Basics. Really quickly, let's talk about the book first, if that's all right. How are you doing, Erica? Doing all right. How are you? Good, good. Revving up for the Christmas x season. Quickly, let's talk about the book. 
Oh, sure. Okay. Um, I get asked all the time whether I'm going to do a book for teenagers or young adults or tweens about sex. And I'm really happy about Drawn to Sex, which I read this weekend, because now I don't have to write that book because you wrote that book. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a... Oh, that means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> it's a really terrific primer or primer. I never know how to pronounce that word. Really terrific intro. Uh, what inspired you to, to to do a book, not just for young people, but for beginners of all ages? Uh, because we all are beginners at some point. And, and even like, you know, when you're, even when you're well into your decades, like you're still going to be a beginner at something. Um, so I just, uh, it, it comes from back when I was first learning about sex. And as I continue to learn about sex as a 35 year old, um, and just really wishing I had a really friendly place that would kindly explain how things work and, and be really accessible like with drawings. Because I remember when I was learning about sex, I would hear descriptions of stuff and I could not imagine how body parts fit together or how these sex toys work this way or that way. And so having an illustrated guide that, that like, there's no questions, you know, you look at this and you see exactly how it's working and how things go in where. And, um, yeah. So whether you're, you're in your teen years or whether you're 40, like there's always something that you don't actually know about yet. And there's some newfangled sex toy that you're like, I, I don't even comprehend how you start to use this. And it's like, oh, look, here, it's drawn. <laughs> you can see it. So who, who were the readers that you were thinking about as you guys worked on this book? I know that when I work on a book, I usually have a reader in my head that I'm addressing. Who were you addressing? Well, okay. I, uh, I was kind of thinking people who are beginning to learn about sex. And in my head, like I'm more comfortable saying late teenagers because I don't know what the the ethics are of like giving younger teenagers a book of explicitly drawn sex. So I, in my head, <laughs> they're, they're more like 17, 18 and onwards. Um, but you hey, know, hey, I, Erica, I can't hey, help wait, wait. it. Hey, Erica, yeah. you, you know that platform on which you publish your work where you can find OJ sex yes. toy, the, the internet. Yeah. 15, oh, I have no control. 15 year olds have access range. to the internet and all the pornography on it. I think you can safely <laughs> say that this book is appropriate for 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. And it's a great uh, bit of counter-programming or complicating programming for a young teenager or tween who's already watching internet pornography on their phones. Yep. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, for parents out there listening who might be thinking about ordering Drawn to Sex, the basics, and of course, Savage Lovecast parents are the best and most progressive sex-positive parents in the world – what does it cover? You know, your comic, if you go look at Ojoy's sex toy, you'll talk about bondage and piss play and uh, cockolding. Mm -hmm. you, you talk about and write about and draw about and invite other art, artists and cartoonists and writers to write about and draw about every different form of sexual identity, gender expression, sexual interest kink. Mm -hmm. What's gonna, what are they going to find in the book when you hand that book to a 15-year-old? Okay, well, so we do, we, we cover kind of some of the, the basic, basic stuff, like this is how a penis works, this is how a vulva works, this is how conception stuff works. But then we also, uh, we talk a lot about uh, birth control. And then we really tried to go into the pleasure of, of sexual activity and not just like with fucking somebody else, but just like on your own and getting to know your own body. And we also do, like, we really try to make an emphasis of saying, also, you don't have to be sexual. If you're not feeling it yet, like you do not have to do anything you don't want to do, whether that's right now or for the rest of your life. And, um, 
And we tried to, we would talk about like the sexual response cycle, sexual fantasies, and, you know, stuff that just gets you used to thinking about how your specific body is going to function, whether you're solo or whether you're partnered up. And then we explain how to be sexually intimate with other people. And, you know, of course, there's obviously like penis and vagina penetration, but we, we include everything else like mutual masturbation and annual sex and oral sex and anal sex and, queer sex. Um, and sex toys. And queer, well, yeah, like the whole book is pretty queer. It's not very, <laughs> <laughs> it's not super hetero focused. <laughs> we really try to avoid gendered language. So we're just talking about people who have different types of bodies. So we've got people with vulvas and how they can use their bodies and their vulvas this way and that way. Now we've got people with penises and how they can use their bodies this way and that way and like different ways you can team up regardless of what genitalia you have. So it's it's definitely like I, I think the book is very, <laughs> very queer. <laughs> I think so, too. I loved it. And full disclosure, um, I'm one of the people that you dedicated the book to, which came as a real shock to me when I opened it <laughs> yeah. up. And thank you for that. Um, but I, re- I, I recommend it if you're a parent out there listening and or you're one of those parents who writes me every once in a while imploring me to do a, a kind of a sex guide or how to or manual for teenagers and post pubescent kids uh stop asking me to write that book because Erica and uh, her husband Matthew Nolan have written that book drawn to sex the basics all right let's talk about the question so oh right right what is there a strap on that a man can strap on when he doesn't want to have sex uh, so that he can have the sex he doesn't want to have. It's kind of a conundrum, kind of a paradox. <laughs> he doesn't want to have sex. I think what she means is he can't get hard or just isn't horny right now, but is willing and, and to basically sexually engage, to have sex with his partner. She would like or he would like to be penetrated. Are there strap-ons that penis-having people can strap on over their penises? Yes, the answer is yes. And I also want to add another scenario in which that might come up is that maybe they were fucking and the guy came ah. and like now he's spent, but he's still like, he's still game. He still wants to go some more. Um, but so the answer is yes. Personally, I don't actually have personal experience with this. Neither does my husband. So I had to do a little bit internet research. And what I found is early to bed, which is early number two bed.com has a, a harness called the Vibe Harness. It's $50 and it's it's vegan friendly. And yeah, there's you I think it's it's a regular harness meaning like it's typically made for people who don't actually have a penis, but if you have a penis, you can there's space to shuffle aside and tuck things over and and yeah, you just strap on a regular old dildo and then you can go to town. And then um and then over on what was it? Oh, goodvibes.com. I found uh, one called Spare Parts Deuce Male Harness. And, oh, early to bed really keeps gender neutral language. So regardless, like, if you have a penis, it it doesn't say, like, man, it just is, like, for your penis. Um, Over here on the, for the Spare Parts Deuce Male Harness, like, it very much is, like, this is for men. And it very specifically is designed to hold a a bio dick kind of out of the way, although in a pleasurable way. It says the little thing that holds... The bio deck, it has acts as like a soft cock ring. Mm. Anyway, and um, yeah, you just you plug in a regular old dildo in the regular old spot, and then you go to town on that. There's also strap-ons that you can strap on your forehead. There are gags if you're into BDSM <laughs> that have a dildo that protrude from them. There are uh, strap-on to your thigh strap-ons, which is a dildo attached basically to a Velcro strap that you wrap around your thigh. You have lots of options uh, for sex toys, but if what you want to recreate is you know, 
standard issue penetrative sex sort of kind of with a strap on, you know, missionary position or some other position, maybe that doggity style position the kids are talking about these days. Uh, <laughs> you can do that with a strap on. And you do see a lot of that. You know, I listened to this question and I immediately wanted to call you partly so we could talk about drawn to sex and then just knock this question out really simply and easily and quickly because it's kind of a simple, easy question. But you will see porn out there that features more guys wearing strap-on, sometimes in a sort of a chastity situation where the guy is wearing a cock cage, and so he's not allowed to use his dick, but the partner wants to be dicked, so they're using a strap-on dick. But there are also people out there, Hmm. and credit to them, I used to say this years ago, and I'd get a lot of hand-wringing, grief, tear-stained emails, which I didn't think was possible, but write about this and you'll see that a tear-stained email is a possible thing, Um, suggesting to guys who are insecure about their size – or who know that their partners have been with people who are bigger and they partners sometimes miss that like crazy filled up feeling that you can provide that feeling to your partner, whatever your size is, if you strap on the biggest possible penis available to you, which is the penis from the penis store. Yeah. And also like there are hollow dildos that are designed for somebody with a cock to put their physical cock inside of it. And then they're just like their penis extenders. Um, Although I do want to make sure that when people go looking for that, get silicone dildos, do not get PVC or jelly rubber. Those are not good for your body. Don't, don't do that. Right. They've got terrible chemicals in them that are bad for sensitive skin. And there's a lot of sensitive skin on your dick. Those are called, I've heard those called cock sheaths. And you wear them over your cock. Sometimes they have a cock ring attachment that kind of goes around the base and the balls to really anchor that. And that can be an effective sort of harness-free way if you can stay hard mm-hmm. inside that cock sheath, if that's arousing to you to wear the cock sheath, to provide your partner with that, oh, my God, giant dicked feeling that some people enjoy and that people can, regardless of size, provide their partners with so long as they don't look at a toy that's a little bigger than them and have a meltdown about it. Well, and also I want to bring up, you can just hold the dildo in your hand and fuck your partner. Um, like that's, I, I, that's delightful. Um, I, I, I don't know if TMI or what, but my husband and I like, will do that pretty regularly where he just fucks me with a dildo using his hand and like, it's a great time. In our gig economy, you could probably get online and pay somebody to do that for you if you don't want to hold the dildo. There's also suction cup dildos <laughs> that you can attach to the wall of your shower. There are so many dildo options out there. Get online and learn more yeah. about them. And one place you can learn about all the sex toy options and dildo options and harness options and sheath options available to you, ojoysextoy.com. Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan's terrific educational entertaining Sex ed site. I, I call you a sex ed site. Is that okay? I'm always referring to what you do as sex ed. Oh yeah, no, we us too. Like we 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 review sex toys because that pays the bills, and also because we love sex toys. Um, but when we made the site, and very much like the the heart and soul of the site is sex ed. And drawn to sex, the basics is a terrific sex ed book for people who are new to sex, regardless of age. Thank you for coming on, Erica Moen. It's always great talking with you. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, Dan. I am a 20-year-old queer black woman living in the Bay Area. I'm calling because my partner and I are basically being blackmailed with our intimate pictures of us, but mainly me. It happened after his backpack got stolen basically a month ago and his iPad inside. And this person's just been, like, emailing us pictures of us, threatening to send them out if he doesn't, like, wipe his account. He tried wiping it. Apple has high security, so basically they can't do anything about it. Called the cops. They might be able to assign an investigator, but aren't really much of a hell about it because 
they said they already have our pictures, so there's not much we can do. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice um, or maybe know any, I don't know any of the listeners, you know, have ever had this kind of situation happen with someone starting to send out pictures of you to your contacts, a lot of family and professional contacts on there. I don't really know what to do, like, when it comes to, like, should I be telling people about this? They can be prepared to get these pictures. If anybody's, yeah, had anything like this happen to them, I'd love some advice. I'm so sorry this is happening. I'm so sorry you're being victimized in this way. These photos that this asshole has in his possession have power because your family and friends and professional contacts don't know about them, haven't seen them, don't need to see them, have no right to see them. You don't want them to see them. You also probably don't want them to know about them. You can drain a lot of the power out of those photos. You can take a lot of the power back from this motherfucker, not by sending the photos, not by showing them yourself, but by letting your family and friends and even professional contacts know about them. That you can write an email that explains that your device with these photos was stolen and you are being blackmailed. This person is threatening if you don't provide them with however much money to send them to everyone on your contact list. It is really common for people to take photographs of themselves and take photographs of their lovers. The majority of us swap dirty images and sex with our partners. So you two aren't doing anything wrong. You aren't doing anything that anyone could describe as abnormal. It is normal. It is the norm for people to take and swap dirty photos and not just with intimate partners, not just with people they trust, often with people they don't know. People are on chatterbait. People are swapping dirty pics on Grindr and Tinder. It's one of the ways we flirt these days. So you have nothing to be ashamed of. And that should come across in the way that you write this note to your family and friends. Don't be abject. Don't apologize for having been foolish enough to take the photographs. You're the victim here. You're being victimized. Your note to your family and friends, professional contacts, ends with, if you should get an email from an unidentified source, from someone you don't know that has these images in them, I would appreciate it if you would delete the email. Save the email address, let me know about it so that I can then go back to the police or I can hire a lawyer and sue this motherfucker for intentional infliction of emotional distress. Revenge porn, and that's what this person is threatening you with, is a crime in California. Misdemeanor, punishable by six months in prison and a $1,000 fine for the first offense. Second offense, a year in jail. I bet this person has done this to others. Odds are that if he does this to you, this person does this to you, they've done it to somebody else. And so your complaint could be the second or third or fourth or fifth complaint. You could wind up getting this person tossed in jail for a nice long time if they do it. They may not do it, but you got to call their bluff. You can't let this person blackmail you now with these photographs because this person will attempt to blackmail you again with these photographs. So you have to take the power back from this asshole who has your photos by communicating to the people on your contact list that you still have that someone is threatening to send these photos out. And you would ask that if anyone receives these photos to let you know, send you the email address, forward you the email, and then delete it. But don't lose sight of the fact that you are the victim here. You are the one who is being wronged. You didn't do anything wrong, taking the photos, having the photos, having them on this device. You did not do anything wrong. And anybody in your life, any friends, any family, any professional contacts, who may receive these photos, who treat you like 
you're the bad guy, that's not a friend you need. And that's not family you should put up with. And that's not a professional contact that you want to work with or for again in the future. Hi. So I'm a straight cis guy in late 30s. So I like totally get off on the idea of basically my wife just telling me stories about being fucked and getting off on it, but not like with the humiliation. And I don't want her to fuck someone else. I just really, really get off on her telling me stories like that while we're having sex. We've talked about this and she's totally cool with it. But the problem is that just when we're having sex, she starts talking like that and it's like zero to orgasm instantly. And that part is fine, but except, well, it's not really fine because I kind of would like to carry it out more. But when I was younger, we've been together a long time. I could just like I'd have an orgasm and continue fucking. And like I'm getting older and that doesn't happen as often, but she loved that. And so it just kind of seemed like a solution. Like she talks about this once I have an orgasm, then I can continue fucking and she gets fucked more without me stopping. But once I have had, once I come, like it, it just doesn't work for my brain anymore. It's, it doesn't turn me on anymore. I'm just kind of like, uh, uh. and so, yeah, I guess that's my question. Is there some way to retrain my brain to be turned on by her telling me about being sucked after I've come? Catherine Pearson, writing at HuffPo, summed up the results of a a Dutch study looking at the relationship between disgust and arousal. Sex may be one of life's great pleasures, but it also involves a lot that normally might gross people out. Sweat, bodily fluids, body odor, for starters. A Dutch study set out to identify the psychology that leads people to willingly, even enthusiastically, engage in sexual activities despite the ick factor. That's Pearson writing at HuffPo. That ick factor doesn't just extend to things like sweat, bodily fluids, body odors. It also extends to fantasies, kinks, fetishes, that there are some things that we want to hear about or we want to fantasize about. And the moment we come, we're like, oh, yeah, that's not really hot anymore. The moment we come, we're, we're no longer aroused. Those hormones surge through your body that kind of shut down your dick and also shut down arousal and disgust can wash back in. So, for example, somebody's sitting on your face and you're eating their ass and you're way up there, you're rimming them. I don't want to say rimming the shit out of them because that's almost too crappy. You're rimming them like crazy. You're really enjoying it. You jack off, you come, and you're like, yeah, I get this ass off my face. I'm done. I'm done with ass. This is kind of gross. I have a butt on my face. All of those thoughts come back. Well, the same applies to your fantasies about your wife fucking other people, that when you are horned up, this thing, this mental image of your wife with someone else Maybe it wouldn't disgust you, that mental image, but it might distress you because it's really sandpapering jealousy, insecurity, competitiveness. And when you're aroused, those feelings are eroticized. Your wife, through this kind of dirty talk, may get sperm competition syndrome to kick in for you, which is something researchers and evolutionary psychologists talk about when somebody knows or suspects their mate has been with somebody else. They're horny. They want to flood them with their semen. And then once you've flooded her or the condom you're wearing, if you're wearing a condom, with that semen, those stories, those mental images that aroused you a moment ago disgust you now in the same way the ass on your face might after you come, in the same way the sweat, the bodily fluids, the body odors, the bits of the body that a minute ago were so arousing are now sort of reverting to yuck form. 
So how do you keep going? Your wife is telling you these dirty things. They're turning you on. How do you keep going after you've come? Well, you can just keep a brave face on and let her continue to fantasize aloud and think of England or think of the Democrats taking control of the House in January, something else that can distract you so you're not fully taking in the dirty talk that she may still be spooling out because it turns her on too. Or she can or you can be honest with her that you know the moment you come or you can be honest with her. The moment I come, you know what? You got to get off my face. The moment I come, I can't keep eating your ass. The moment I come, after I come, I can't keep hearing these stories because what was sexy jealousy, what was sexy insecurity, what was arousing fear is now just jealousy, insecurity, and fear because I'm no longer horny because I came. Knowing what you know about your dick now, you also say that you tend to lose your erection now after you come and it's harder for you to keep going. You might want to wait until your wife has got the boning that she wants and deserves before this particular dirty talk gets trotted out, knowing the effect it has on you. You say it induces orgasm almost immediately and then you're unable to continue and your wife's not done. Well, now that you know that and as your body is aged and changed and you're not capable of sustaining an erection for long after orgasm, which is common among men as they age, you need to delay the onset of that kind of dirty talk. You need to tell your wife that that is for the last two minutes, not for the first two minutes. Hi, Dan and all. I'm a 20-something calling from New York City. And my question is, as a bisexual human, I'm generally not attracted to people that are more on the gender neutral scale. Like I like guys that seem like guys and girls that seem like girls in the more like obvious conventional ways. So my question is, is that transphobic or any sort of like intolerant? I don't know if it's just my taste or what, but it's just really tricky because in the circle I run in so many people are gender neutral. It, but I hate to say it, but I feel like it's phony or trending or something weird. But yeah, I'm just wondering if my kind of not understanding, not being interested in that kind of thing reflects something I should work on or if it's just a matter of taste because live and let live. It's not transphobic to have a preference for, as a bisexual woman, guys who are manly and women who are feminine. There are plenty of trans guys out there who are really fucking manly and there are plenty of trans women out there who are really fucking feminine. There are trans people out there who embrace, in a sense, the binary. Your sexuality, your erotic inner life, your desires – Embrace that binary as well. And you don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed about that. You are entitled to your preferences and entitled to your types. So long as we aren't cruel to people that we aren't attracted to because they aren't our type, so long as we aren't needlessly vicious, so long as we can talk about the people we're attracted to without implying or stating that the types of people that we aren't attracted to aren't attractive people in their own right, it's not a problem. You don't have to fuck people you don't want to fuck. You don't have to fuck people you're not attracted to. I do think that people should interrogate their desires to make sure that your desires are actually yours. Often we're running around without giving it much thought, fucking the people that we believe we're attracted to because we've been trained through images, through the media, through film, television, pornography to find certain types attractive. There's a beauty ideal. There are beauty standards. And sometimes we don't see other forms of beauty, not because 
we can't, but because we haven't looked, because we haven't allowed ourselves to look. But if you've interrogated your desires, if you've really drilled down, if you've made sure that the people you're sleeping with are the people you want to sleep with, not just the people you've been told you should want to sleep with, no apologies. Sleep with the manly men and boyish boys you're attracted to. Sleep with the womenly women and girlish girls that you're attracted to without apology, but also without assholery. Hi, Dan. My name is Liz. I have a hot take on people who like spicy food. I think because it's a pain thing and not a taste thing that if you really like spicy food, you have to be a submissive. You have to get joy from being a sub. Please ask your listeners. I want to hear a poll and I want to hear your take on it. There are people out there who ingest spicy stuff as a stunt. There are people out there who will take some like crazy hot pepper sauce and put it on their tongues just to show that they are tough enough to endure the pain. I don't think they're subs. They're just, I don't know, adrenaline junkies. And I don't think average, ordinary, regular people who like a spicy curry are submissive to the Indian restaurant down the block that delivers. I, this doesn't work for me. I, I don't see it. You sound like someone who prefers bland food who wants to pathologize by sexualizing other people's preferences for spicier entrees than you enjoy. But you wanted a poll. You wanted me to invite other listeners to weigh in. If anybody else out there has an opinion about this really strange suggestion that people who enjoy spicy food are masochists and submissives, give us a call, 206-302-2064. Hi, I'm Canadian. And I'm uh, 75, although I feel like I'm 57. And I'm divorced. I have not met the love of my life. But um, what I really want is to be fucked. And I can't find anybody. So maybe you could uh, let me know where I should be looking. I live in a really small town. We have one stoplight. First, the bluntness. I'm going to open with some blunt talk. There's a lot of people out there who want to be fucked who can't find someone to fuck them. There isn't a dick for every slot, lid for every pot. Some people want and can't find. And that's sad. Sexual deprivation can really make people of all ages miserable. There are 19-year-olds out there who can't get laid. It makes them miserable. It's made some of them crazy and dangerous. And there are people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who would like to get laid and are having a difficult time finding someone. The internet exists to help, but the internet isn't magic. And the fewer human beings there are on the ground where you live, the fewer options and potential fuck buddies there will be at your disposal. So you say you live in a small town. Get online. Get on all the dating apps. Get on Tinder and get on OkCupid and get on Too Many Fish and see if there might be someone in your area or near enough by who might be interested in you. Someone your age or older, maybe much older. Men tend to die younger, so there are fewer men of your generation available to women of your generation. Also, a lot of men want to sleep with women who are younger than they are, and there are a lot of women out there who are willing to sleep with men who are significantly older than they are, which makes the market even more difficult for you. And that just sucks. And if you can't move or you can't access a more densely populated area where you might have more options, well, then you might have to go without partnered sex. But solo sex is an option. Pornography is an option. Sex toys are an option. And there are amazing 
sex toys out. They're the same internet that you can get on to listen to my show, that you can get on to put personal ads up on dating websites and hookup websites. You can order all sorts of sex toys on that same internet so that you can be sexual, that you can affirm your own sexuality and your own sexual validity all by yourself. And you have the power to provide pleasure in the absence of a partner or in the interim between partners. So I, I don't mean to be cruel, but I, but I don't like to fill people with false hope. There isn't someone out there for everyone. I said earlier in the show, there's 7 billion people out there. You have options. But some people are alone and despite their best efforts, will be alone and perhaps will always be alone. And the trick is to live in hope, to not despair and to put yourself out there when and where you can and the internet, thank God, exists and it helps people, particularly people in sparsely populated areas, to find others. And then while you're putting yourself out there, not obsessively, it's not something you're going to want to do 10 hours a day, but while you're putting yourself out there, also take care of your own needs so that you're not constantly frustrated. You may be frustrated by the search going on longer than you would like. You may be frustrated by not having the affirmation of a partner, but you don't have to be sexually frustrated. You don't have to be sexually unfulfilled because you can provide sexual pleasure to and for yourself. Hello, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight female. I've been dating this guy for a week and we have a really strong connection and we really like each other. But I was out and... This dreamy cowboy just took me off my feet and we ended up hooking up. I'm not in a relationship with this guy I'm dating, but I feel super guilty. I guess I was debating, if, do I say anything? Probably not. I don't know. Yes, you say something on your 20th wedding anniversary. Maybe you say something then, but you don't say anything now. It's only been a week. There's no commitment here. It's not a monogamous commitment. You haven't had a define the relationship talk. You haven't had a second week yet. For all you know, this will be over in two days. And if it's over in two days and you didn't grab that cowboy when you had the chance to grab that cowboy, you'd have regrets. But you did grab the cowboy and what the cowboy provided you with besides great cowboy sex was some clarity. That cowboy, that experience with that cowboy really clarified how you feel about this guy, Mr. Week. And how you feel about Mr. Week is there's something there. There's something there that being with this cowboy might have put in danger, might have risked. And you know what? I don't want to risk that because I want to see where this relationship goes. So I am not going to fuck that cowboy again or any other cowboys who crossed my path because I'm going to invest in this guy, Mr. One Week. And then if it's one month later and we're still together and then it's three months later, maybe we'll define the relationship. Maybe we'll make a commitment, a monogamous commitment. And then maybe at some point we'll make a lifetime commitment. And then at some point after you've made that lifetime commitment, this could be a story that you tell him. Early on when we were dating, it had only been a week, I hooked up with somebody else and what I learned in that hookup was I didn't really want to hook up with anybody else. And I haven't since. And a person should be able to hear that and take it for the compliment that it is. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at Rescue. So I just had a kind of interesting situation happen to me and I'm not really sure what the best way to navigate it is I met this guy on a dating app and we were about to go out tomorrow for the first time but he just sent me a picture of himself as a woman 
And I didn't really know what he was trying to tell me there. It was kind of, it was not prompted. I didn't know what was going on and I didn't really know what the best way to ask it about it was. I wasn't sure if he was telling me, you know, I'm a trans woman or I like to cross dress or what exactly that was. And I am a heterosexual female and I am totally cool with whatever they feel they are, but I felt I, I, I guess deserve to know if, if they're a female or a male and we kind of talked about it a bit and I think he feels male, likes to cross dress, but I'm not even really sure. And I don't think he really has the language to describe it. And I just, my asking of the questions, I felt really guilty about it the whole time because I felt like at one hand, I want to know, but at the other hand, I feel like I was being invasive and I don't want to be ignorant or ask something hurtful. So I guess what's the best way to navigate this? He sent you a picture of himself in drag. He initiated a conversation. He raised the subject of him in women's clothing. You're allowed to say, what's that about? Do you like to do drag? How often do you do drag? Are you a cross-dresser? Are you somewhere on the trans spectrum? What's that about? You're allowed to respond to basically him initiating a conversation about this, about this picture. He sent you a picture of him at a ball game. You'd ask him if he liked baseball. He sent you a picture of him in women's clothing. You can ask him how he feels about women's clothing. You can also ask him why at this stage of your relationship he sent you that picture. What is it that he wants you to know? What is it that he wants to tell you? He used a photograph. Now he's got to use his words. All right, before we get to your feedback calls, a few of your feedback tweets. Stella tweets, listening to the Savage Lovecast, I have two main thoughts. One, I am so lucky to be a teacher in a country where I can tell my students the truth about sex. And two, listening to Dan Savage weekly has made me saner and smarter about sex and thus better at talking to my students. Thank you very much, Stella. Bo tweets, what a pleasure hearing Stormy Daniels field a few questions with Steak Dan Savage on a recent Savage Lovecast. Both are sex-positive heroes of mine. She's just as brilliant as I suspected. The tweets about Stormy's appearance on the Lovecast keep pouring in, and we are going to try to get her back. And Jen tweets, at Fake Dan Savage, now that you're reading tweets on hashtag Savage Lovecast, please, please throw in a few of the hateful ones you get so we can all laugh at the Santorums of this Trumpy country together. All right. Next week for the Christmas show, I'll only read hater tweets and we'll see how that goes. If you want me to read your tweets, hateful or otherwise on a future episode of the Savage Lovecast, remember to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast and now some more of your calls. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the woman whose boyfriend or husband wants her to swallow his load every time she gives him a blowjob. Uh, for one, that is fucking stupid. No, you do not have to do that. But also, I am not a cum fan. Uh, I don't even like cum on my own body, let alone anybody else's. I have a very difficult time swallowing and I've only been able to do it once. And the only way it worked out, I was lying on my back and I was kind of getting my face fucked in a way we can say. But this way, when my boyfriend came, I didn't even have to swallow. Gravity just took it down and it stayed down. That's the only time I've been able to swallow. If I try to swallow vertically, or it's, I mean, like, you know, upright, it just, it doesn't work. The actual act of me swallowing the load, ugh, I want to hurl. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, see if that helps, if you really want to swallow it. But no, you don't have to fucking swallow his load. What a rude-ass motherfucker. 
Hi, Dan. This is for the woman in episode 633 whose mom is questioning the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, I would suggest her mom look up Centoya Brown, who was 16 when she killed a kidnapper and rapist and serving 51 years for defending herself. All while Brock Turner is roaming free right now. Also, Marissa Alexander, who shot at a man who threatened to kill her whole family, and she got 20 years in a stand-your-ground state. Also, you can ask her how many times in high school the police stopped and dumped her bag on the street because she supposedly looked like an adult suspect. Because I can I can count at least twice a month. You can ask her how much subpar emergency medical care she got because doctors assumed her pain threshold was much higher than others. Because I had a broken ankle one time treated with a splint instead of a cast. And I still have a weird thing with my ankle to this day. Uh, you can also ask her how many times her classmates told her that she couldn't play Spider-Man because she was a nigger and Spider-Man was white because that happened at age four for me. And the teacher just kind of shrugged it off as it was cute or funny. Ask her how many times a bartender called her a nigger multiple times and then kicked all of the white people out of the bar who didn't know each other while the owner watched because that just happened this past Sunday. And don't even get me started with redlining or the birth of gynecology or the Tuskegee experiment. Like all these things are why Black Lives Matter exists, because we keep being told that we don't matter. Hi, Dan, Nancy and squad. It's me, a black listener calling in response to the woman in episode 633 who wanted to explain the movement to her folks. Dan, your explanation was great as far as I'm concerned. But if we're dealing with the kind of audience that we really need to simplify for, let's take it to the animal kingdom. Now, you might hear folks talking about save the whales, save the rhinos, save the tigers, but you don't much hear them talk about save the ducks, save the horses, save the golden retrievers, right? Do these people not care about ducks, horses, and golden retrievers? Do they want them to go extinct? No. It's that ducks, horses, and golden retrievers aren't being unjustifiably killed at an alarming rate like whales, rhinos, and tigers. Get it? Holla! And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Last month, folks in Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco were lucky enough to catch the opening weekends of the 14th annual Hump Film Festival, where audiences got to enjoy 21 new dirty short films and voted for their favorites. Now Hump is going on the road. The Hump Spring Tour will be starting in late January 2019. Find a city near you and grab some tickets for what I think is the best hump ever at humpfilmfest.com. It's not too late to gift the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast to the Savage Lovecast listeners. On your list, go to savagelovecast.com and click on the gray box that says gift. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica with a K, Moen, M O E N. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.